0: Let's take our Bibles, go to Psalm chapter 18. This new series is called Hope is on the Way. Hope is on the Way. And uh, I want you to say it with me. Together, hope is on the way. Yeah, now I want you to say it like you're in trouble and, and it's a positive thing that hope is on the way. Ready? Together, hope is on the way. Yeah, because as we come towards Easter, we realize again that Jesus, who is our one lasting hope, our one standout Savior, the one and only who can redeem us and put our feet on solid ground, prepare a home for us in heaven, we celebrate his death, his burial, his resurrection, and the hope that he gives us for this life. Um, I don't know about you, but circumstances have a way of getting us down, getting me down, injustices, it's that delayed kind of of uh, response in life, or it's the unmet expectations. There's a lot of reasons we can be down about the things of life, and we lose hope. It's one of the reasons you attend church, actually, is to gain some hope, because it's, Hebrews says you, you gather together to encourage each other in the faith. Realize you're not alone in this thing called faith. And so you, you and I need this in kind of encouragement. So why? We, because we could lose hope. And we'd be isolated. In fact, if you want to ever put a fire out in your in you have a fire pit, one of the ways you do it is you separate, do you know this? Separate the pieces of wood that are burning. They can't stay burning as long when you separate them. So it is with the church, so it is with believers. Put them together, it's quite a roaring fire. Separate them, and it cools down fairly quickly. But, so there's four stages we're going to talk about uh, with hope. And today is going to be the Bible. But I, I want to talk with you about how things come and go. Uh, my cousin, Mark, uh, when I was in high school, my cousin Mark bought a 19, I think it 1955 Bel Air, Chevy Bel Air. And, and it was a clunk of a car, but it was a cool car. You know? I mean, it, it had that low end, boom, 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 boom. And he had done something to it. That I don't know what, but... He was in that auto mechanic shop thing down the hall at that high school, and he was just cool. And here's what I know, is that cars go through stages. They go through cool. Then they come to this middle-aged thing where they're no longer cool. They're costly, but they're not not as cool. Then they get downright clumsy. And then eventually, uh, that car, like a 56 Chevy or a 65 Mustang, They become classics, don't they? They become collectible classics. Now all of a sudden, the value, the value of my um, cousin Mark's car today is huge. And he wishes he hadn't sold it during the clumsy stage because it would eventually become a classic. You see, the Bible is the same way. And believing in God and believing in Jesus and following the, the, the mystery of the Holy Spirit, it's all the same. Because there's a moment when it's cool, when it's fresh and new, but then there's this mid-stage when it's no longer cool. It's just costly. It's just clumsy. And that's when a lot of people fall off because it's no longer cool anymore. But if you'll keep reading the Bible and you keep believing, what's going to happen is eventually you'll find it to be classic. In other words, it has keeping, it has really high, high value. And in eternity... It's going to be out the sky high in value. So during these weeks, I want to offer you some hope as we get ready for Easter. And here are the four things I want us to do to get ready for Easter. I want us to remember that the Bible is still true. And that'll give us hope, to know that my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We sang it. The praise team always leads us in triumphal entry. They always do a great job. They sang that song. Man, that's the perfect song for today. Our hope is still in the Bible, and it is still true, always has been true. But that's not all. Next week, Lord William, will go to look at that God is still in control, although it doesn't seem like it at times. Seems like the world's spinning out of control. Thirdly, Jesus still saves. And then fourthly, the Holy Spirit still changes lives. It may feel like uh, people don't really follow the Lord in personal faith, but they do. And life change is still possible. Well, today I want to talk with you about the word. The Bible is still true. As we get ready for Easter, just remember, it's Jesus who died for our sins, and he was buried. That's fairly hopeless. The disciples, the people who followed closely, they went to that clumsy stage for a few days, only to realize, no, he is going to be classic, and I want to be in, in with him. And then when he rises from the dead, they're committed for life. That's the life change piece. And that could be your story as well. I'm in Psalm 18. And then if you, have, if you have that Bible open, go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. But first, Psalm chapter 18. How do I know the Bible is still true? Well, the first reason is this. Because it appears to be the word of God. It appears to be the word of God. This is called external evidence. In other words, just by way of observation for the word of god uh, or for as god verse 30 chapter 18 his way is perfect that's talking about god himself now his word is flawless the scripture says he seals all who take refuge in him his word is flawless it will never lead you astray it will never lead you down the wrong path it is absolutely perfect it appears to be the bible appears to be the very word of god so it's always going to be true By other sources, there are other books that have been written over the years, and they're good books, and they'll address one or two items in life, but they can't address the breadth of knowledge and wisdom and understanding that the Scripture can. We find greater perspective and true meaning when we read the Word of God. Other sources give to us one aspect of life. Nothing teaches us quite like the Scriptures because the Scriptures give us what Peter says, everything we need for life and godliness. In other words, they are thorough. They, are, they, they understand the breadth and the depth of life, the scriptures do. So, Psalm chapter 18, turn the page down to chapter 19. The law of the Lord, verse 7, is perfect, refreshing the soul. Get that, the law of the Lord. You and I view the law, the law of the Lord is oppressive. No, it's perfect. And what does it do? It refreshes us. Why? Because we know we're in a safe zone. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The scriptures uh, appear to be the word of God. They are the very voice, the direction. They are the law of God's heart. They are the statutes that help us for life. Now, when Jesus comes to earth, he will quote Old Testament. He'll quote three-fourths of the Old Testament books. People always wonder, well, I wonder what he thought of the Old Testament. He thought pretty highly of it. He was always quoting it. In fact, when Jesus was tempted, right before he went into public ministry, he was tempted by Satan, and how, how did he respond? Did he respond with, hey, I could zap you in a moment, dude? No, he didn't do that. Do you know what he did? He said, it is written, and he quoted Old Testament text, and then he prayed. And guess what you and I can do when we're tempted? We can, t- we can quote Bible text, and we can pray, just like Jesus did. So there is this, there's this thing about the Word of God that not only does it appear but it seems like even Jesus had such a high regard. And then when you look at the archaeological digs, you realize this is even more substantiated truth than we thought. Some have gone throughout history to try to disprove the word of God. And they found um, you know science to be popular, this to be popular, some historical dig to be popular. But what we end up finding is the word of God to be true. A few hundred years ago, there was some research that was done that dealt with what happens with rain and snow and how it hits the ground and then it goes into the ground and then it feeds the ground and then eventually it leads into plant life and that plant life, the, the water comes through the plant life and then it evaporates, goes back to the cloud and there's this system of the clouds and system of moisture. Understand that thing was just discovered a few hundred years ago. That's kind of like new science to us. Understand this, the book of Isaiah, 800 years before Jesus, talked about how the rain and snow feed the earth and then return. It was already there. Okay, And when we make archaeological digs, what we found is, is that even science, scientific things that we're now discovering, we find them to verify the very thing that we, we thought might be true, but we didn't know for certain. So, It appears to be the word of God. Secondly, it claims. We step it up a bit. It claims to be. That's the internal evidence. 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped to every good work. The word of God is God-breathed. Get this. It it is out of the breath of God. So it's personal and it's powerful. Those are two Ps. You just write that down. It's personal and it's powerful. Now, why is that so important? Uh, We understand God's powerful, but to think that he takes time to communicate his truth personally, he doesn't hand it off to an office down the hall. He doesn't have someone else give it. No, it comes from his very breath. We get our word, uh, it's the word here, pneuma, uh, spelled with a P, We have pneumatic tires. Lots of things are pneumatic. It's the very breath. And to to realize this, the Bible you hold, those words came from the very breath of God. Very, very personal. And because it's personal, it carries with it a, a sense of real purity and an incredible amount of power. Have you ever been around a person who talks incessantly and you think eventually they need to breathe in, but they never do? They just keep talking? Do you know what I'm talking about? Don't point to them, just kind of nod. Yes, I've been around people like that, and you probably have too. Just keep talking, talking, talking. Do they ever breathe in? And then it occurs to me, I've read about this. There are some clarinet players out there who can breathe in through their nose while blowing out their instrument. This is amazing. Can you breathe in through your ears? If I were to plug your ears, would you stop blowing the horn? And you, you think about that because you, eventually it has to stop. Understand this. This is so personal. It's the very breath of God. He stops everything to tell us what he thinks and tell us what's on his heart. It's the breath of God. Uh, Peter puts it this way, that the, the people who wrote the scriptures didn't write it according to their own will or their own way. No, they were like people in a boat that had a sail, and the Holy Spirit comes and blows it at will, and it takes them, where the Holy Spirit wants to take them. So they don't have any ability to control it. They're writing the very words of God, and they're being, the scripture says, carried along. It's like the sail is taking them, and we're headed that way whether we want to or not. So these guys kept their personality, kept their, kept their grammar, and kept their, their word style and all that, but they didn't choose to write what they wanted to write. No, they were directed by the holy spirit this is very personal it's very powerful so not only does the word of god appear to be inspired but it it also claims to be as well that gives to me hope and and why is that so important and the issue is this because when the writers wrote it down now it's locked in because it's written down it's not just spoken Because spoken word can be verified or unverified or substantiated. When it's written, it's a done deal. And written is way better than a verbal agreement any day of the week. And so, what God does is He gives to us not only His voice, not only His commandments from the Old Testament, but now He's writing it down, so He's locking in. I'm reminded of a story, and it's not my own. It's the story of a guy that went to law school. But he never would write anything down. His professors would say, You need to write this stuff down. He'd say, I just want to take the test, but let me just respond. They'd say, It's not gonna go well. This this isn't working. You need to write your test down. No, I just want to take it verbally. So they say, Okay. They so take his test. Everything he would do. He he went all the way through law school. Brilliant guy. But he didn't want to he didn't want to lock in on writing things down for whatever reason. Well, his law school professor said, you can get all the way through law school, but you still have to take the bar exam. And he said, I can take the bar exam. And so he takes the bar exam, and and the professors come to him, and they say, we have good news for you. You passed the bar. But we aren't going to write that down. (laughs) So there he is. You've been in a case where it was he said, he said, right? She said, she said. You don't know what happened. When it's written down, you at least have something to verify. What does God do? He cares enough not only to speak it personally, but to get it down and write it. So you know that you know that you know. And one of the things that we know is this. It not only appears to be the word of God, and it not only claims to be the word of God, But in its claim to be the word of God, it fulfills prophecy. This is one of the powerful things. All self-proclaimed saviors, go to any self-proclaimed savior of the world, what you'll find is, number one, they're self-proclaimed, but number two, they were never predicted ahead of time. Jesus was predicted ahead of time. Do you get that? That's huge. It's way different than any other other self-proclaimed. And when they would write a book, self-proclaimed saviors would write a book, it would be their book, and they'd be the one writer. When the Bible was written, 40 different authors, over 1,500 years, living in different places, speaking different languages, with different grammar, different word pictures. So this idea of collusion, that they got together and mustered up something, it couldn't have happened. They didn't know each other. A few of them knew each other. They couldn't know all. They didn't even speak the language. If you were to put them in the same room, they still couldn't have gotten along. They did not know each other for the most part. They come from different corners, of different parts of the world, around the Mediterranean Sea, but for the most part, these guys just write as the Holy Spirit prompts them. So there can be no collusion, and yet all 66 books have one central theme. All 66 books agree with each other. In fact, when you read one book to another, you realize There's truth here that corresponds to truth over there. And there's truth that was written 500 years earlier that corresponds to other truth. And out of all that, you realize there can only be one ultimate author. It has to be God himself. So this is miraculous. It is absolutely miraculous. Fulfilled prophecy alone is enough. 750 years before Jesus came, the prophet Isaiah said, it will be a virgin who will conceive. And hundreds of years before Jesus came, Micah, another prophet, said, I'll tell you the town. It's called Bethlehem. You have to think about that. 750 years. Our country's only 250 years old by, on paper. So that's three times the age of the U.S. David will be, live 1,000 years before Jesus. So that's about 3,000 years ago. And in his prophecies, in this prophetic moment, he's writing the word of God. And he will say about the Savior of the world, he will die in crucifixion. He doesn't even know what that means. Do you know why? Crucifixion was never even invented until 500 BC, 500 years after David. So he's writing about something that hasn't even been invented for a Savior who's yet, once it's invented, is going to be another 500 years away. Only one author could do that, That has to be God. So the word is, not only appears to be the word of God and claims to be the word of God, this claim is so substantiated with just the prophecies. Daniel will write 500 years before Jesus that there will be world domination. World domination will come from four corners. Those four corners will collide into two, kind of, kind of consolidate into two, and then eventually it will be one. You know what he's predicting? He doesn't even know it at the time. He's predicting Alexander the Great. He's predicting ultimately the Roman Empire. And that's not his reason for writing. He's writing about a savior and the ultimate kingdom and future events. But even in the incidentals, we find David writes eternal truth. And it's so prophetic, you realize this has to be written by God. I love the story of the French a philosopher who lived in the 1700s. His name's Voltaire. He didn't like Christians, didn't like Christianity, and for good reason. Sometimes Christians can be a little annoying. But he just didn't like Christians, didn't trust Christianity at all. He just said, they're just, they're, they're just bad people. They're not, it's not going to last. And so he always poo-pooed it. And being a philosophic guy, he did. He made a prediction. He said, I predict that in 100 years, the Bible will be lost like every other religious book. 100 years, it'll be gone. Christianity will be gone. And today, the French Bible Society owns Voltaire's home. <laughs> I, I find that to be funny. Okay. I, now, I tell you all that for this reason. I want you to have hope. And I, want, I don't want you to lose hope. Because right now, some of you, you believe the Bible, but it's in that clumsy stage. Because everybody else goes, oh, my!" Like crying out loud. I thought you were smarter than that. Or they poo-poo you for having faith in Jesus. Or they they poo-poo you for always wanting to tell the truth. Or always wanting to be kind, even when people aren't kind back to you. And you say, but that's the way of Christ. I want to always tell the truth. I always want to be kind. And I always want to be forgiving. They go, yeah. And you're going to be eaten alive by society. And you say, yeah, but I'm headed to heaven, so it doesn't really matter. Because this isn't my eventual home. They don't get that. So you're at that clumsy stage where Christianity is not very popular. I'm telling you this to say, have hope. The Bible is true. It not only appears to be the Word of God, it also claims to be, but there's a third. It also proves to be the Word of God. It proves to be the Word of God because for no other reason than the fact that over the years people have banned it, burned it, gotten rid of it, it's been unpopular, and yet somehow the Word of the Lord stands forever. The Bible never seems to go away. It gets banned or outlawed in one country and it pops up in another. And just when you think, oh, we'll we'll disband Christianity. And you know what? for years europe was the place where christianity was so strong then it migrated to africa and in northern africa you you saw great great thinkers in the christian faith and then and then years later it would show up on the west coast of africa in places like liberia and nigeria and then in in the founding of our nation a lot of christian principles came with uh, early founding fathers and, and mothers to the nation it was a wonderful thing and And then today, even as you say, well, it's not as popular as it used to be, guess what? The good news of Jesus Christ is doing extremely well in places where it was banned, like in China a few years ago. It was banned in China. Guess where the church is thriving? In China. Guess where the hottest spot for prayer is? It's in Korea today. See, the the word of the Lord just seems to foster. We used to joke with missionaries in South America. They would say, we just drop a pamphlet on the ground and come back in seven days, there'll be a church. We just would joke about stuff like that because the, the word of the Lord would just flourish in countries you just would never dream about. And it just proves the preservation, the persevering nature of the word of God. That's one part of this proof, but the other part is the fact that it still changes lives like yours and mine. And so we have this ongoing life change that we can't get away from. The fact that he's still it's still not only the number one seller but it's, it's, a, it's an absolute miracle that after everything that's happened to the Bible, and even good Christians who've not used the word well, the Bible still seems to endure. The word of the Lord always seems to endure. Hebrews chapter four puts it this way, for the Lord, word of the Lord is, is active and it's, It's alive and it's active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. In other words, it knows me that it knows me. It can divide between soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It knows the parts of me I don't even know about me. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of my heart. It knows what's going on. You think you can hide from God? Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered. When you were a little kid, did you ever hide from your parents and you'd hide behind the curtains in the living room? Curtains are right there and you stand still and they "Ah, I can't see my mom and dad. There's no way they could see you. But they see this outline in the curtain. But then the dead giveaway is the curtains stop like three inches before the ground. They see the shoes and they call you by name. And you think, they are miracle workers. They aren't. It's just nothing can be hidden from them. Understand this. Nothing can be hidden from God. And when you're out of step with the word of God and then you read it or someone preaches it to you or you hear it on the radio or you read it in a book and you go, I don't think I like that. You know what the problem is? The problem is we don't want to be told what to do. Go back to the text. Everything is uncovered, verse 13, and laid before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We don't want to be accountable. There it is. We want to do what we want to do. The Bible would have said about our own hearts 800 years before Jesus, so that puts us about 2,800 years ago, we are like sheep who wander astray. So that's how the prophet Isaiah put it. We are like sheep who wander astray. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. That was the book of Judges. book of Isaiah it says we're like sheep who wander, and when we wander... The Lord has laid on him, that's the Savior, the sin of us all. He already knew, I'm going to send the Savior. And there's our hope. There is our hope. If you've never trusted Christ, I'm going to encourage you to trust him today. If you're trusting the Lord, I want you to be encouraged to have hope. Because everything the word says is true. It's going to come true. You just have to hang on through the clumsy stage. And when you do that, you'll never regret hanging on and having the hope. Let's bow for prayer. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Your prayer might be, Dear God in heaven, save me. I know I don't deserve heaven, but I'm a sinner and I need the Savior. Just save me. I trust you today to be my Savior. Maybe that's your prayer. That'd be wonderful. For some of us in the room, the prayer is not, Lord, save me, but, Lord, give me hope because I'm in the clumsy stage and I, I, uh, I lie down and I roll around in the weeds of discouragement. I can't be doing that and I realize it. Thank you, Lord, for revealing to us your word is still true. Always has been. Always will be. So we can go to the bank on it. Thank you. Bless these dear people, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.